0: new business been around MAP uh Master Athletic
1: Um, so I officially like started Master Athletic I think 2015 I incorporated
0: oh nice um
1: I was just running it so at that point I had been coaching for quite a bit of time but I left the collegiate coaching um industry and decided that I wanted to start coaching again but more in a more more power lifters more I, at the time I was still coaching a few pro athletes I have I still have a few but uh, yeah. mostly strength athletes oh, I got um you. and kind of did that on the side while I had a full-time job and then uh just recently actually as of this coming Friday yeah I'll be going full full time as a, as a strength coaching gig. oh
0: awesome oh that's so cool what was uh yeah. what, what was your full-time gig um before
1: so when I transitioned out of collegiate strength and conditioning, yep. I went into, uh, I was a functional rehabilitation specialist with an okay. insurance company. Okay. So essentially I acted as a subject matter expert on the rehab for individuals on disability trying to go back to work.
0: Oh, wow. Okay. Man, that's, that seems complicated. <laughs> um,
1: it, it was kind of, it was really interesting. It was a d- completely different world than I was previously exposed to because yeah. I mean, you go from the raw, raw, like, you know, excited atmosphere of a college weight room to, uh, you know, a 50 year old woman with chronic pain who's so depressed, she can't get out of bed. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you scale the intervention for that individual? I learned 100%. a lot about a lot about mental health, a lot about chronic pain, a lot about um, different disability interventions. Um, sure. I did it for six, six years. So man Um, does quite a bit
0: does the mental health health aspect play into uh training actual like powerlifting athletes or is it not as big a thing as far as like technique coaching goes
1: um i would say that more so it taught me how to communicate okay um taught me how to uh relate my experiences a little bit differently how to empathize um how to adjust my approach for different individuals based yeah. on what they need. I, I, I would say that like, as a, as a collegiate strength coach, you get into that, you know, you're coaching 500 student athletes at the time. So it's very challenging to adjust your message mm-hmm. uh, to the individual. You kind of have to address the team based on what the team culture is. And then go from there. Whereas now that I can focus on the individual, uh, it's much more tailored and much more individual, I would say in that aspect. Oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah. It, it's, I know it's funny when, when, whenever I talk to anybody about the, the strength conditioning world and being a strength conditioning specialist, I think there's, there's a disconnect because I think people see it as just being a personal trainer, you know? So maybe right. there's, there's kind of like, like a, a gap in marketing do, do you feel as though people confuse your occupation with just like straight personal training and they kind of downgrade it a little bit
1: i think i do a pretty good job on my end in terms of like what i do you're famous convey- yeah <laughs> well I,
0: would, I wouldn't
1: go that far but uh, i would say i would say my messaging is pretty clear that i'm i'm not a personal trainer yeah uh, when i was when I was a strength coach, it was, it was a challenge because being from Canada, um, we didn't really have until, until I went to Queens. So Queens is a university here in Kingston, Ontario. And um, when I, when I went from the U S back to Canada, that's when strength and conditioning was kind of getting more notoriety and we started having them. Like I was only one of, I think five full-time strength coaches in our entire conference of like 17. Wow. Yeah. So, So when i was in the states trying to explain to people yeah i'm a strength coach oh so you're like the personal trainer for the sports (laughs) team there you go there you go i was like uh (laughs) kind of yeah Uh, no I work very closely with the head coach and we implement a system and you know there are some personal aspects to it but everything we do is in groups and Uh, i remember when my my mom came down to visit me when i was in florida for a week and, and she saw some of the sessions and she's like i have never seen anything
0: like this yeah yeah it's 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 entirely different but yeah you know it's funny i guess america would be the place everybody uh shoot you know when i when i was in college everybody was trying to be an athletic trainer going down that strength conditioning Mm -hmm. route so many people just just kind of do that a lot of times people are going toward like physician's assistant nowadays you know so uh, yeah the
1: the the college sports um i would say industry in canada Mm -hmm. versus the u.s in the u.s You go to university to play sports and then you get a degree in Canada. You go to university to get a degree and you play sports. That's awesome. If you if you have class during your practice, well, you're going to class. You're not going to practice. Okay. Whereas in the U.S., they're going to they're going to build out your practice schedule around your sport or they're going to build like they're they'll change the curriculum for you to be able to attend the sport. Yeah. Funding in the U.S completely different i mean in canada some of our some of our university athletics would like rival high schools <laughs> yes it, you know yeah. so it's it's a big big difference
0: but you guys i mean i mean obviously you guys hockey's a big thing in canada is, is more the money going toward that since it's more kind of the sport that defines you guys because here i guess it would be i guess it would be football you know if i had to if i had to guess i guess i guess the money's kind of funneled where, where it's most popular i
1: suppose <laughs> So it's a little bit different because in hockey, um, kids are playing pro. So if you go play college hockey, you're usually done playing pro. Um, Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So like you'll go play junior, you'll play like junior a, and then you'll play junior hockey, which is like the AHL affiliate, like similar to the AHL. So you have this this CHL be the Canadian hockey league. Okay. And then from the Canadian hockey league, you go to the NHL. But if you play out your years in this, in the CHL and you don't move on and you're not signed or drafted, you go back to school. So I would have like, at the time I was 26,
0: mm-hmm.
1: so I would have, I would have like 25 year old first years. Oh, wow. Huh? Because they've already played pro
0: hockey for a while. Wow. Jeez. That's bizarre, yeah. man. I can't, I can't even, yeah, it's, it's funny. That's, that's a, that's definitely just, just demonstrates the
1: difference, you know? So yeah, maybe. for sure. And like, um, a lot of our best athletes go to the States too. So okay. when, if you're staying in Canada, uh, there's not as much scholarship money. Um, you're getting, you're just getting a different caliber of athlete.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, it's funny cause here from what I've heard, I was never an athlete, but, but students who spend their time maybe on a scholarship, they, they don't necessarily know what to do after college because they've spent all their time like you said everything revolves around their sport and their sport is their priority in american schools and it really is like if you have to miss a class to go to practice that's what you need to do it's like that's what you're encouraged Mm -hmm. to do so and then they get out of college and i've it's like okay what do i do now (laughs) you know the identities change and you don't know how to section yourself out of a sport so yeah. No, it's exactly you what see it a lot.
1: you see it a lot and it is quite sad. I mean, you get into a situation where you know, especially with the lower socioeconomic uh, students who come in, they've never had any money, yeah they focused on school, they're they focus on their sport hoping to go pro and then they don't make it and they're left with a degree that's relatively meaningless because <laughs> they didn't actually learn anything political science. <laughs> it's a bit <laughs> or gen, general studies. There you go.
0: Know? Oh, that's yeah. There you go. That's a better one actually. A lot of people do that <laughs> for yeah. sure. So, no, it's it's yeah, to your point. Do do you find that that powerlifting is a sport that's a little more encouraging to somebody's future as opposed to something maybe like football or hockey? Do you think that powerlifting is kind of like something more long-term or is it is that not really
1: a difference? Well, I mean, you're not gonna make a living powerlifting, that's for sure. Um See, I, didn't know yeah, I would say I would say it's something that uh, you could do to maintain your competitiveness. It could be a competitive outlet for you. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely something you can do into the later years of your life if you do it intelligently. Um the community sure. around powerlifting is tremendous and very supportive. And uh, I mean, quite frankly, quite frankly, who wants who doesn't want to be strong? You know? Oh, hell yeah. Um, yeah. It, so I mean, it's a, it's a very encouraging place to be, especially if you surround yourself with the right people.
0: I, I th- so I mean, I sound really stupid right now, but it, but I thought you get don't you get sponsors though, or is it when you said you don't make money, you really just do it for the love of the sport, I guess then.
1: So I mean, the top like point zero zero one percent of people who are winning the big money meets might get a few thousand dollars. I didn't know um, that. There's one there's one meet that uh, pays out forty grand um other than that a couple thousand dollars here or there for the winners of the meet maybe Mm -hmm. best lifter uh most most sponsorships quote unquote that you're going to see are affiliate codes so you only get paid off of what the company what you sell to the company you might get some free supplements or a couple free t-shirts um i'm lucky enough to be sponsored by a couple different companies bacon and barbells uh apparel which you know okay Jordan's been Jordan's been one of my best friends forever but he doesn't pay me he gives me free stuff uh, I get a percent uh, free stuff and a percentage of sales uh, nice. off of people who use my code so it's not like he's uh, and actually he will pay he he'll, he'll pay my entry fee for meats and help me out with travel and stuff nice. but but there's not many people who get that sort of deal um yeah you know I have a, I have a supplement sponsorship now with subject zero supplements okay um I gotta check that out the, yeah they're they're fantastic very much uh performance based supplements without sacrificing health. Um, I like that. The owner T- Tony Montgomery is my partner on uh, on coaches corner university. Okay. And uh so like for that I'm I get uh you know a pay, a, a kickback off of sales for people who use my code and then a couple free products a month but uh That's awesome, bro. It's not as it's not as though we're getting salaries, right? Yeah. Like no one no one in powerlifting is just powerlifting.
0: Man, see, man, that's funny. I, I, I would think I would have known that by now, but I never actually did. I think the, the marketing and everything, it, it seems, it seems like you know they're they're big they're popular you know you're making you're making bank like a like a mr olympia bodybuilder or something you know not even close like you look at i think
1: the two people you could point to that probably make the most money off sponsorships would be Steffi cohen with animal sure um and, and dan green but i know for i know for a fact Steffi's not living large off off animal and neither is dan dan owns a very successful gym and works his butt off training yeah. people all day steffi's doing everything under the sun in, in order to to earn a living with uh with hybrid performance method they're they're into everything and yeah um working their tails off so i i would say that i don't know a single person who just makes money off powerlifting
0: no it's true i i guess it goes back to clothing sponsorships and and that kind of thing and you just have to play the market the right way and kind of be willing to, to do all that stuff, you know, for sure. It's yeah. And I'll tell people about it, man. I'll give them your codes and everything. We'll, we'll, I'll, I'll push that out there. I'll make sure people I appreciate know. it. Yeah. No problem, man. No, no worries. Do you feel like, um, you would talk about the supplements as far as supplements go, this is kind of like, I want to, I want to get your feeling about this. Do you feel as though supplements help with powerlifting? Do they actually provide value from what oh, you see? Okay.
1: If you have like supplements do exactly what they say, right? They're exactly. supplements. So exactly. as long as you have your your diet dialed in, um, your sleep, your stress management, and everything like that, you add a supplement to the mix. Um, it could be like throwing gasoline on a fire, right? Like, sure. so you had you add in things that are evidence-based, like creatine monohydrate, caffeine, um, different uh different health supplements like vitamin d or zinc magnesium yeah um that's one thing that you know i'm i'm proud to represent subject zero because everything on their labels is evidence-based it's ethically dosed um and they're not hiding behind proprietary blends they also don't like pack their supplements full of caffeine and and different stimulants to make them feel quote unquote that they're working yeah um but the reality of the situation is with supplements, most people rely too heavily on them. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the supplements in my cupboard are health supplements, things that you know support liver health and kidney health and healthy fat metabolism and healthy carbohydrate metabolism and yeah. vitamins and minerals and things to help me sleep better or mitigate stress. Um, they're not like performance enhancing supplements. Yeah, it's it's
0: that's that's what people tend to though, man. It's always about the performance enhancing, like just proprietary blends and packaging. It's so shiny and flashy, you know. It's, yeah, the,
1: I, I deal with a lot of young young lifters, and so many people are willing to spend, you know, sixty dollars a month on a yes, pre workout, yes, but won't but won't set an alarm to go to bed.
0: Oh, that's that's damn right. Wow yeah you're right and it's, one I mean, is
1: free and will absolutely increase your performance uh-huh and the other costs 60 dollars and might maybe have <laughs> an impact a couple times until you develop a tolerance to the stimulants
0: sure but it looks cool <laughs> totally <laughs> totally man yeah that's that's all that matters right yeah exactly what what's what's one way what's one tip you could give somebody to increase their sleep as far as just naturally without supplementing just to naturally kind of help themselves with sleep. And I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, that there's, there's simple things that, that people can do and break it, you know, but what's something that you kind of tend to do? So I'll I'll give you three. Number
1: one would be to establish a stable sleep schedule like that. So wake up and go to bed at the same, same times every day. Okay. Uh, the reason being is that we get into this rhythm called a circadian rhythm. Yep. And your circadian rhythm has to do with ebbs and flows of different hormones throughout the day. Mm-hmm. It's influenced both by our exposure, exposure to sunlight and to our diet. Okay. So by waking up and going to sleep at the same times every day, your body falls into a more stable circadian rhythm and your sleep quality will go up. Awesome. The next will be to avoid any type of screen or stimulation or light stimulation before bed oh, for difficult. about thirty minutes, and and it, that's probably the most challenging one for me because um, I'm usually going right from my laptop to bed.
0: But no, so that's yeah, that's the big one. Yeah,
1: yeah. So what uh, what I actually plan on implementing uh, as of Friday, when I'm no longer working a full time job, is prioritizing thirty minutes just to read before bed. Okay. Um, just to get away from the screens and then number two uh, or number three, sorry, would be to eat a a consistent diet. So consistent doesn't necessarily mean low calorie, low carb, high carb, whatever. It just means consistent. The reason being is because our circadian rhythm is influenced by our food intake, primarily carbohydrates because insulin cortisol, um, as well as uh, as well as melatonin all fluctuate throughout the day Mm -hmm. so if you do have a big bolus of food before bed it can impact your neurotransmitter production uh, primarily serotonin and dopamine so those can influence the quality of your sleep Uh, the notion of you know don't eat after 7 pm to lose weight is Mm -hmm. silly But if you're trying to maximize sleep quality, you'll want to have a smaller meal later in the day and have your bigger meals earlier in the day. So if you if you are eating a stable diet, Mm -hmm. setting an alarm for sleep and wake and then uh, making sure that you avoid screens 30 minutes before bed, you'll definitely have really quality sleep. So it really uh, people
0: should kind of shift their focus to to developing consistency with just eating so that they can kind of feed into a better sleep schedule that changes the game in in a way, you know?
1: Oh, it does. And it doesn't just, it doesn't just happen to, to benefit your sleep. The big thing with, with anything regarding performance Mm -hmm. is habits and structure. The more, the more habitual you can get with healthy behaviors and the more structure you can provide to your day, the better your performance is going to be. That's things like making sure that you're walking a sufficient amount of steps per day, getting -hmm. getting enough non-exercise physical activity, making sure that you're eating, you know, single ingredient whole foods at regular intervals and prioritizing protein, Um, whether that's making sure that you do any type of recovery work or mobility work on a daily basis training regularly. Uh, all of these things are habits and behaviors that help you improve your performance. Mm-hmm. The more regular you can be in all of these things, and and, and I understand how not fancy this is,
0: but, it's, but people it's make good. a living
1: making it fancy, right? It, 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 this is what works. People yeah. make a living off over-complication of simple concepts, exactly. but the reality is, is those people who are excelling do the little things really 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 extraordinarily. Oh, I like that.
0: Well, it, it and and unf- and it's a shame that that the, the programs that you know make a living off of complicating that are far more uh, almost acceptable to people. Like people would rather do that than what you're talking about, which is a shame because it sounds like, you know, it it's if you simplify it, it really comes down to just you know, I guess people don't like the fact that they have to do work for it. They just want the the quick fix.
1: As far well, there's as, that, I mean, there's the aspect of uh, of autonomy, right? So yeah. if I am the person in control, then I'm the person who gets blamed if it doesn't work. So if, yeah. if I offload the blame to somebody else, it's never my fault. So that's number one. So, um, yeah. No, number two is gonna be, if I spend money on this, I'm gonna be more likely to, follow it Mm -hmm. so you get people who buy fat burners for example so fat burners are just you know usually herbal supplements with a bunch of caffeine and different stimulants Um, they can be effective in decreasing your appetite maybe increase your metabolic rate slightly but if anything i spent 80 dollars on this pill that i'm taking every day so i better follow a good diet so what makes me lose weight the pill or the diet yeah probably the diet probably the diet yeah right so it's it's that um it's almost like a, a buy-in, like a literal buy-in financially. I, I have people who, so okay, so, so this is what I see all the time. I get a client comes to me for nutrition. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first thing I do is I ask them to track three days of food. Yeah. Immediately they start eating less. I didn't do anything. I just oh, wow. asked them to write to write down what they're eating, but immediately they start eating less. I had a client. I have a client very strong dude tons of muscle mass he's about six one three thirty okay um he got he he, in the past he's gotten his weight down to about 250 pounds and he's shredded like i'm talking i'm talking he's he'll wear tights to the gym and you can see his leg veins through his tights oh my god that's how how jacked he is oh god so he came to me he's I asked him to track three days of food for me. His average caloric intake was thirty-two hundred calories. Oh my gosh! I go, bro. Wow. There's no, there's no way you got to three hundred and thirty pounds eating thirty-two hundred calories a day. He's like, well, no, but as soon as you got me to track, I stopped. I stopped eating so much.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. I was man. like, all right,
1: all right. So we're just gonna pick numbers out of a hat here, and that's what we're gonna go by. Um, <laughs> Damn. So, like that, but that's that's a perfect example of what we're talking about, right? So these mm-hmm. small, non-fancy strategies, yeah, that immediately cause positive change, but they're completely self-driven.
0: Wow! And your your approach to it with just the you know talking about the the mental game you kind of play with these new clients when you just ask them to track your
1: food. That's right. Well, that has a purpose too, right? Because yeah, the goal, the goal of that is. I wanna know where your true intake is. So I'm gonna take sure. the average of the next three days. And if you haven't been losing weight or gaining weight, that's probably your maintenance level of calories, right? So that's where we'll start our plan together. Okay. Um, wow. But if I get something like that, where you know a, a dude who likely his true intake is around 6,000 calories a day, and yeah. he tells me he's eating three, well, I know <laughs> there's a disconnect there, right?
0: For sure yeah there there is i i don't you, you probably understand this too and, and this is what you see just from what you're talking about whenever you accept a new client do you find them to be overeating for the most part or under eating depend when they come to you what do you find I would say they're
1: they're they're overeating on the wrong things they should be undereating on and okay. they're under eating on the things they should be overeating uh-huh. on so majority of clients will not be eating enough protein okay and they'll usually be eating too much fat okay I, wow all right so
0: so so you see more so it's fat that you see more of not necessarily carbs per se
1: right so you okay. have to remember the popular the population that i tend to work with is strength athletes mm. and as a strength athlete fats serve only one purpose health okay we need to maintain an appropriate amount of fat in our diet to support healthy hormone production mm-hmm. and that can be as low as 20% of total calories. Yeah. Okay. So other than supporting health for a strength athlete, fats do nothing for us. You could argue that a certain amount of fats is response it could be beneficial to maintaining insulin sensitivity. But there are other ways around that as a strength athlete, you want to have, you want to take advantage of insulin. You want to take advantage of carbohydrates around training. You want to prioritize the the macronutrients that will allow us to perform at the highest level. When we're looking to manipulate our body composition, all we have to manipulate is total calories for the conversation. Carbohydrates comes into play is if I've dropped my fats to the basement, Mm -hmm. I'm eating a ton of protein, which I know that I need in order to maintain muscle mass the only place for those calories to come from is carbohydrates. So we slowly drop carbohydrates. Fats and proteins stay relatively stable. Wow. But if you're dealing with someone who's, you know, maybe a more lifestyle client, that type of diet is hard to adhere to because when your fats are really low, mm-hmm. your satiety, your satiety is also very low. So sure. carbohydrates are metabolized faster, they're not going to keep you as full. Yeah. So you're eating a ton of carbs, and you're trying to drop weight. You'll more likely be hungry, for sure. So it's best, depending on what your ultimate goals are, right? Like if it's a lifestyle client or a performance client, I might opt to keep their fats a little bit higher and be more moderate in their approach to carbohydrates, so that I can maximize satiety and make sure they're adherent to the diet.
0: So, but that's cool though. I've never, I've never heard it explained like that because I like how your thinking more about the hunger as opposed to you know the the, more specifically about the carbs you're looking at fat as a way to maybe stave off cravings right
1: right because fats fats will slow gastric emptying so you'll have a longer duration of food within the digestive tract sure and when we're looking at weight loss or 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 weight gain for that matter anything to do with diet and nutrition Mm -hmm. the ultimate goal is adherence so how consistent can I get this individual following their meal plan or their diet? Mm. I, I don't write I don't rate meal plans. So we'll just say diet. Oh, I don't, hey, yeah, um, don't blame me. <laughs> yeah. So how adherent can they be? It doesn't really matter what I put on paper if they can't follow it. And if they can't follow it because they're always hungry, well, we need to change our approach or we need to have a conversation about what hunger means and the fact that, hey, you're trying to lose weight. It's yeah. okay to be hungry.
0: Well, do you think see I'm starting to think that your approach and so many other you know high level trainers like yourself they're they're approaching this this very scientific aspect and and I'd almost tell people to skip out on going to see a nutritionist and rather go to you. You say you don't write meal plans, but your information is so like exponentially better than than what i think i'd hear from a nutritionist
1: what do you think about that So i'm, I'm, I'm just going to clarify nomenclature a little bit yeah so i think what you you're referring to is a dietitian
0: i am that's what yeah no i messed that up you're so right it was a, dietitian. a registered
1: a registered dietitian is someone who's done a master's degree in dietetics and a, and a clinical internship so they are very highly trained for sure the reason they can write meal plans is because they have a very deep understanding of number one medications and how they impact diet oh, and, nutri- and nutrient deficiencies. Okay, um, And that's why they're often using clinical settings. Uh, but the other piece there is they are able to prescribe food because of their training. For me, I'm not necessarily worried about prescribing food because okay. ultimately I want you to have the tools necessary to choose the appropriate foods for you. If I'm writing someone a meal plan, and they travel for the weekend, Mm -hmm. it's going to be impossible for them to follow their meal plan unless I have previously taught them how to choose the appropriate foods, how to track them, how to plan ahead and all of these things. Yeah. That's something like I I will assign people macronutrients like protein, carbs, fats, calories. I will assign people usually nutrient timing. So how much of each to eat at each meal, Mm -hmm. especially when it pertains to training. But I also teach them how I meal prep, why we're eating the foods that we're eating, making sure to have fruits and vegetables, fruits and or vegetables with every meal. Okay. Uh, why, why we're trying to eat red meat every day, whole eggs every day, uh, you know, low fat dairy yeah. every day, why to include these things. And so by the time we end up with them building out their meal plan, it's a very diverse variable plan that they can... Add or subtract as they need to, and it's sustainable because if they're out of their element, they still have the tools and strategies to make good choices. Sure, and different in, different strokes, right?
0: Different strokes, yeah. And and your plan, you know, you talked about the red meat aspect and the whole eggs. I do that all the time. That's that's that'll be a staple in my diet forever. I think mm-hmm. nowadays, though, do do you get annoyed? with the amount of people who maybe claim to be gluten-free or dairy-free but but maybe they have not done gone through the right process to confirm that is there what's your thinking on that like if somebody came to you and insists oh i can't have red meat i can't have dairy you know do do you work around that and try to try to tell them that they need that or do you try to maybe help them understand what that means
1: well so the red meat one is is an interesting one, because usually people who say that are are relatively uneducated. True. Um, they're, un, they're uninitiated into the, you know, the finer details of nutrition. So yeah. um, I will educate them on the process, but ultimately it's their choice. Does everybody need to eat red meat? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But you need to have some some source of iron B vitamins, saturated fat within the diet, because, you know, those are all responsible for you know, healthy organ systems and, exactly. and hormone production. So, if you're not eating red meat, well, let's make sure that you're having whole eggs, right? Yeah. If you're, or we're having some avocado or some other source of you know healthy fat, um, maybe even some some grass fed butter, uh, things like that to make up for it. Um, Sounds good. Most of my clients are are pretty pretty solid on the things that they will eat and things that they won't. As far as the gluten-free, dairy-free, mm-hmm. I'm big on like, if if you wanna avoid those foods because you think that those foods bother your stomach, if you think they bother your stomach, they probably bother your stomach.
0: Okay, okay, Most like pe-
1: most Most of those things are dosage dependent though, like the dose makes the poison. So okay. for example, for me, I can have about 200 grams of Greek yogurt at a time. Okay. If I go if I go over that, I tend to get a little bit gassy. Same with uh same with oatmeal. I can have about a half of a cup at a time, or after that, it's a little bit too fibrous and I'll get a little bit bloated. Mm. So I can have those foods and I do on a daily basis. I just make sure that I don't have too much of them at one time. Okay. Because those are those are both really good staples to have in your meal, in your in your nutrient arsenal, we'll call it. Yeah, because you no know, Greek yogurt is a very good source of protein. It's got tons of calcium. It's probiotic. Oh, it's very wonderful. healthy food to have, right? Yeah. Uh, plus, mix it up with you know some berries and some pumpkin, and you got a great like low glycemic, or whatever. high or whatever. nutrient. Yeah, yeah. That's my breakfast. That's my breakfast every morning. So I mean, um, yeah. So there is not necessarily workarounds, Mm -hmm. but it all comes down to education, right? It all comes down to making sure the person has all the information so that they can make an informed decision on what they put in their body.
0: So it's, it's built, it's kind of taking away this, this sensitivity to food that people always think they have rather, rather, you know, there's more adaptable strategies and that's certainly your goal is trying to give people autonomy in the
1: long run. Exactly, man. The more I can get someone reliant on themselves, mm-hmm. the more longevity they're going to have and, and the more sustainable their progress is when it comes to nutrition, especially we have to remember that as a society, we are very good at losing weight, Yeah, getting weight off of people, not a problem. But when we look at the recidivism of weight loss, when it comes down to like 10% body weight or more. So if you're a 200 pound person, you mm-hmm. lose 20 pounds. Within the first year, you're 95% likely to gain back that 20 pounds and more. 95%, and then if you look long term, five years, you're 99.9% more likely to regain that 20% or that 10 10% and more. Oh my god! So it's not about how how well we can lose weight; it's how well we can lose weight and maintain that weight loss long term. Now, there are a number of factors that, that contribute to weight regain, some hormonal factors, but mostly environmental okay. and habits, habits and education. If you know why you've done what you've done in order to lose the weight, mm-hmm. if you know how to sustain the habits and structures required for you to maintain your body weight loss, and you set up your life in a way that makes that easy and makes you feel competent in your ability to do so, you'll be successful. Those are all things that we need to take into account during the weight loss process. I always tell people the way that you lose the weight is the way that you'll maintain the weight loss. So if you lose your weight by going keto, but you hate fats, yeah. well, as soon as you start to introduce carbohydrates back into your diet, you won't have established a strategy for moderating your intake and you'll end up regaining your weight.
0: Oh, interesting. However,
1: if you like a balanced diet and you've maintained a balanced diet, mm-hmm lost your weight eating a balanced diet well then you just keep eating a balanced diet and you maintain your weight loss
0: man i i yeah, that's really cool yeah it's it's people's people's goals need to be focused on rather just the maintenance it's building so once you've kind of gotten to the habit of this particular thing that has gotten you to lose weight you got to stay at that at that range i guess at that place yeah and i yeah. mean
1: if you're if you're goal is weight loss, Mm -hmm. then you need to structure your habits and behaviors around someone who is losing weight or someone who is lean. So instead of focusing on, I'm going to lose weight, Mm -hmm. focus on, I'm going to act as somebody with the body composition that I want to have that person is going to be very active, that person is going to be eating quite mindfully and being aware of their intake, that person is going to moderately consume, you know, a wide variety of foods, that person is not going to over restrict, that person is going to have a healthy relationship with food where they can enjoy a meal with friends and family and not feel guilty about it. Mm -hmm. These are all habits of somebody who is lean. I love that. So if you acting like that, eventually you will get lean. I'm not saying that you know you don't have to restrict yourself in order to lose weight because for some people with certain genetics, yeah, you have to suffer a little bit to get lean. You do. Uh, I, you I'm one you. of those people. I am one of those people, true and, true and true. The first time I ever decided I wanted to get lean, mm-hmm. I ended up dieting, I think it was like 20 weeks. And at the end of it, I was doing like two hours of cardio a day mm-hmm. and 100 calories man
0: oh my god and and what do you what do you currently weigh like right now how much did you weigh when you were leaned
1: out as much as you so weighed? i was about i got to about 215 okay nice um and like i was i was pretty diced and then i currently weigh about 235 pounds okay um but i still have abs
0: yeah that's no
1: that's incredible and, and i recently last summer i dieted down I dieted again for about 20 weeks. Uh, I got down to 215 again, but I was way leaner than I was before. But since I already had the habits and structures in place, I didn't need to, I wasn't doing any cardio. I was just walking about 12,000 steps a day. I was still eating around 26 to 2,700 calories. Oh, wow. And I was able to maintain, yeah, like it's literally a thousand calories more than I was previously. But I had put on a significant amount of muscle mass in the in in the intermediate time between diets, so my my resting metabolic rate was higher. I had better habits, better structure, and uh, I was able to maintain my performance to a very high degree during that dieting process.
0: Holy cow, man! It, it's it's damn! It's it's all about that foundation. It's it's about building up your your calorie consumption to a point where you can easily subtract from it. Right? Just to right you know just if you wanted to cut. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, like for me right now, I'm I'm not a big eater. I've, I've never had a super fast metabolism. My yeah. maintenance cal my so I weigh between two, I would say between two thirty 230 and two thirty three on a given day okay. right now. Um, and my maintenance calories are about thirty five hundred. Wow, I mean that's yeah, that's that's it's not it's not a super high amount, but it's all from single ingredient whole foods. So it's it's quite a bit of food.
0: Yeah. That's, that's hard, man. I I'm blown away. You can do that. I, I would need pizza
1: or something. I, uh, you know, Well, so, so again, I, I'm, I'm kind of handcuffed because I am one of those people that has a sensitive stomach.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: All right. So for me, for me, it's like, well, I could eat pizza, but mm. I know I'm going to feel sick tomorrow. So I'm just going to eat the foods that I know make me feel really good. Wow. And uh, if I want to indulge, I'm forced to indulge in moderation. Like my, uh, i just celebrated an event with my girlfriend yeah and my mom my mom makes these like personal size cheesecakes so it's probably the, the whole cheesecake is probably maybe a little bit bigger than your palm okay so Jeez, i had a, i had a quarter of that okay and i knew that if i had any more than that my stomach would be upset so for me to add that into my day's macros, I eliminated a little bit of fat from two of my meals and then half of my post-workout carbohydrates, boom, I had cheesecake, my life went on and I didn't feel guilty or anything about it.
0: Yeah. So it's, 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 it's it's subtracting from where you need to subtract from so that you can have that indulgence if you want. But man, those cheesecakes (laughs) sound amazing.
1: (laughs) Oh, they're so good. It's uh, it's white, white chocolate chip Oreo.
0: Oh my God. Jeez. that's that's incredible i i I love cheesecake but i've never had that one before the little personal ones are fun though i like those Yeah. yeah